Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Before this episode begins, I actually want to take a few moments to say that this episode is really important to me. This episode is a really tough subject. And as someone who is the granddaughter of four Holocaust survivors, speaking out about the anti-Semitism that's on the rise right now is extremely important to me personally. I just want to say that my guest today is extremely educated on this subject. And I hope you'll listen to this with an open mind. You know, we all come from different perspectives, but I'm a firm believer in supporting everyone. But there's a lot of extremes that are sort of directing this right now. And we know that when things go to the extreme, whether at the far right or the far left, nothing good comes of it. So this is a heavy topic, but, you know, I think having this platform makes me responsible to sometimes here and there talk about something that is outside of maybe the normal leave your mark genre. But if you stay around and listen to the whole episode, I think you will learn a lot. Thank you in advance for your attention. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. This is not an ordinary episode of Leave Your Mark. For those of you who have been following for a long time, you know that my passion is career mentorship, and that's why I wrote the book, Leave Your Mark, and that is what inspired this podcast. But not every journey is the same. And Carly Pildes is someone who is a new friend. She is the Director of Community Engagement at the ADL, or the Anti-Defamation League. She has dedicated her career to fighting for justice and equality on a global and national scale. She serves as a columnist for Forward and as a board member for the JCRC of Greater Washington, the Young Jewish Leadership Board of the Greater Washington Jewish Federation, the Inter-Jewish Muslim Alliance, and in her free time, she enjoys engaging in Jewish Twitter and making Shabbat with her family. Carly, welcome to Leave Your Mark. We have so much to talk about. This was an episode that I was so inspired to do, especially on the heels of all of the anti-Semitism on the rise and the entire debacle with Kanye and every single thing we're seeing across college campuses. It's really scary. But before we dive into this, and this episode will be different than my other Leave Your Mark episodes because I don't normally get into issues. It's really about the person and the person's role and tactical advice, but you offer both. You offer an incredible career and experience and also really important things that 
I really want to use my platform to share. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Uh, I've been in Washington for 15 years now. I came to Washington with one thing I knew for sure, which is I was definitely not going to do anything Jewish while I was here. Okay. Uh, so I guess, you know, if we're talking about career advice, my first would be be more open-minded than I was initially. I came here really focused on maternal and child health and poverty, particularly with a global focus and a focus on African issues and really the multilateral foreign aid and domestic foreign aid. I did that for seven or so years, loved it, loved every minute of it. But around 2015 and certainly into 2016 and beyond, I just began to feel like I think a lot of American Jews, the rise in anti-Semitism was very palpable to us very quickly. And I started raising my voice on that first on Twitter. Then eventually I started getting asked to do some more op-ed writing. I ended up publishing hundreds of op-eds, which I had never done before. And really just that led me to feel like I needed to take some time and space out to dedicate myself to serving my own country and my own community, which really is at a crisis point, unfortunately. I just felt like I had to say something. I had to talk about what was happening to me and to others and in our country and Eventually, that sort of became my career. And I would urge people listening who are thinking about jumps and leaps to be open-minded. You know, I remember when I first started getting a lot of attention for that, people would say to me, like, be really careful. You're going to ruin your whole career. Be really careful about who you criticize or how you raise your voice. And, you know, you're, you're going to make some enemies if you talk about anti-Semitism. You're going to lose some contacts. And instead, actually, what happened was I made a really incredible career that I've been really blessed to have doing work I really believe in and serving my community in a way I couldn't have foreseen was needed when I first came to Washington and, you know, just being really grateful for that. So Carly, I am the granddaughter of four Holocaust survivors. So this is especially personal to me, this topic. I'm wondering, what do you say to people who just don't care because it doesn't affect them? That's a great question. And I think it's one of the real misnomers about anti-Semitism that it only affects Jews. Anti-Semitism is hugely corrosive for democracy. If there is truly, and this is really the core of anti-Semitism here, a subset of people, a conspiratorial entity of Jews that makes all decisions, then you can't hold leaders accountable and there's no point in participating in the democratic process. There's a reason that throughout history, throughout geography and time and space, authoritarian leaders have leaned on anti-Semitism as a scapegoat. There's not enough food. The economy is bad because of sanctions. You know, there's any sort of equity crisis. It's not the fault of the czar. It's not the fault of etc. regime could be applied very broadly to a lot of different places. It's the fault of the Jews. So anti-Semitism is really, really corrosive to democracy in general. It is also a really animating force of radical white nationalists. If you get a chance, you should read Eric Ward's work on this. He spent a lot of time doing first-person research into white nationalist extremist groups, some of them violent. 
And one thing that really animates those groups is the idea that, you know, if you truly believe that white people are superior, then you have to have some sort of conspiracy theory that explains away and denigrates away black success and other people of color success. Therefore, you have the evil Jew, the cabal. There's so many different ways it gets framed, but really this conspiratorial entity that is participating in white genocide, that is manipulating and using the struggles of black and brown people for their own evil, selfish games. Obviously, that's deeply racist and hugely belittling to people of color, and that's their animating philosophy. But you're a white nationalist, you need a way to explain away your superiority and how, you know, how do we have a black president? How do you explain the losses of the Jim Crow movement to a white nationalist? How do you explain away the sort of civil rights wins? You need an animating theology that still puts you superior and therefore is the Jewish conspiracy. So it functions as a conspiracy theory that destroys democracies is deeply violent towards people of color, be they Jewish or not. And Eric describes it as an animating theology of white nationalism and white supremacy. This idea that, you know, those two enemies go hand in hand and those fights therefore are deeply, deeply intertwined. You cannot get to a place where you've defeated those white nationalist movements if you're not talking about anti-Semitism and anti-Blackness and misogyny and all these intersecting hatreds, or you're only putting out the fire in one room out of the house. If your house is on fire, you don't put it out in one room. You put out the whole fire, right? Unfortunately, it's not as easy as pouring water on a hose or out of a hose rather, <laughs> but it's this really intertwined struggle. So you have the democracy part, you have the threats to people of color part, and then you just have the general disinformation. So it really actually, anti-Semitism is a huge threat to every American and everyone living in a democracy. That was so well said. So I guess it would be very helpful to understand your day job and what right. you're aiming to do. And specifically, since it's so timely, when this whole Kanye thing started happening and he was doubling down and tripling down, what was your role behind the scenes in sort of mobilizing? Sure. So I'm going to talk about my whole team's role because I work with a really sure. team and I don't want to ever give the perception that I somehow run government affairs for ADL by myself. That would not go well. Uh, <laughs> so I work for the government relations and advocacy and community engagement team, which we call GRACE. We do a variety of different things to combat anti-Semitism. Obviously, lobbying members of Congress and a lot of my work is focused around engaging our volunteer leaders, training them. How do I talk about anti-Semitism on the Hill? How do I talk about it in my community? How do I talk about how it impacts my life or has impacted my community, etc.? With things like the Kanye thing with the corporate campaign, Grace works really closely with our comms team and we come together and, you know, ADL really believes in what our CEO calls council culture, not cancel culture. So mm. a perfect situation like this, if it went perfectly, we would meet with someone, they would say, you're right, I did a horrible thing, I'm sorry, how can we work together? How can we make it better? How can I make amends? And that's the ideal situation, not causing the end of business partnerships. That said, there comes a point, and came pretty quickly in this case, where that clearly was not an option. 
So, you know, we came together with our comms team, put out our statements, and then we put forth actions that regular people could take to email Adidas to reach out and say, this is unacceptable and this is not really meeting your stated values and we want you to end this partnership. You know, we really, like you'll notice our hashtags are not like hashtag cancel Kanye. They're run away from hate. They move away from hate. They're about hatred themselves and fighting those broader societal ills. We really try to engage as much as we can in counseling and educating as opposed to canceling. Over 18,000 people in the end reached out to Adidas and wrote a letter. And as you are well aware, the partnership has ended. But unfortunately, Kanye is still out there making anti-Semitic statements, inflaming hate groups, being parroted by hate groups. You know, I think a lot of people saw in a couple places last weekend, people pushing the sort of Kanye was right message at basketball games, at an overpass in LA, I believe in Florida also at a basketball game. Forgive me if I have the state wrong. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. So as you can see, hatred is flammable. It's not contained. You have this person making these statements and he unfortunately has a large platform. Yeah. And, you know, the change.org petition to get Adidas to drop him had over 168,000 signatures also. Brett Stevens wrote an article in the New York Times. Did you see it? It was thank you very much. Really actually putting a different spin on this where it was like, thank you, Kanye, for raising awareness of how bad anti-Semitism is. I think it's one of those things that doesn't really get acknowledged in the media as much as it should be. Would you agree? Well, I wouldn't go so far as to thank people for promoting dangerous ideas. I mean, I get the sort of satirical point. Sure. It does have real life consequences. That's not the lens that I would take. That said, I do think that anti-Semitism doesn't get enough coverage. And when it is coverage, it's often not covered correctly. So you'll see very well-meaning people be like, I support tolerance and oppose hatred for people of all faiths. And you're like, well, that's not really what anti-Semitism is. Anti-Semitism isn't about faith. It's about picking a group of people, an ethnic group, Jews, and blaming them for the world's ills. And sometimes that ending in violence or discrimination. Your level of religious observance does not factor into how an anti-Semite views you or how that discrimination can impact your life. So I think there are ways to raise awareness that are positive and those that are inflammatory. Mm-hmm. And if I had my personal choice, I would pick positive ones. No, that's a very interesting point. What would you say to people who are scared to speak out? Because I do think American Jews in general, and there's definitely subsets that are just like putting their head in the sand, like it's somebody else's problem. What would you say to those people? I really view a lot of my role in Washington at ADL and in other places I've served as bringing people from fear to empowerment. Mm -hmm. There is an enormous amount of fear among the Jewish community right now. It's important for listeners to understand that. I believe the last polling number I saw was 86% of American Jews think anti-Semitism has gotten worse and are concerned about it. Uh, Anti-Semitic incidents are at historic highs. Jews are disproportionately victims of hate crimes. There is a lot to be nervous about. I understand those fears intimately. They impact my own life. That said, I think the constructive way of dealing with fear in this situation is leaning into empowerment 
working with groups like ADL to face those problems and those fears head on and doing what we can to fight back. You know, if you are taking action, if you're lobbying your member of Congress, if you're writing letters to brands, if you're coming to Never Is Now, you can take that fear and turn it into change. Tell us about Never Is Now. Never Is Now is the largest conference against anti-Semitism that I know of in the world. It's one of ADL's flagship programs. It's happening November 10th at the Javits Center, and it's going to be a really incredible event. If you're thinking about anti-Semitism, wanting to learn about anti-Semitism, wanting to know what you can do about anti-Semitism, you should come and join us in New York. If people can't come, where can they learn more about that? Check it out at ADL.org, and you can learn about how you can stream it and other ways you can get involved with fighting anti-Semitism. And look, ADL fights anti-Semitism in a couple different ways. It's one of the things I love about working here. There's the Grace Corps. We're the ones pushing for government funding, pushing for nonprofit security grants to go directly to Jewish preschools and Jewish synagogues and go to really help fund protecting the community physically. There's a huge education portfolio, our No Place for Hate Schools program. There's the Center on Extremism that's tracking all sorts of types of hate and extremism, including anti-Semitism and looking for trends, looking for patterns, working to identify hate. So there's a lot of ways to get involved. And there's plenty of need for people to get involved in this fight, as you've probably seen over the past couple of weeks. Absolutely. I mean, anti-Semitism is as old as day, basically. What do you think has made it feel so much more prominent today? There's a great article by Amy Cuddy called The Psychology of Anti-Semitism, and it talks a lot about the conditions for flares of anti-Semitism, especially in places where Jews have been enjoying economic prosperity, freedom, dignity, generally living reasonably good lives. But when there is economic instability, political instability, social instability, anti-Semitism tends to flare up. I mean, economic instability, political instability, social instability sound like any country you know. Yeah. So when you have that uncertainty and you have those fears, people, again, look to place blame. They look to scapegoat. And they're also just more inclined towards conspiratorial thinking. So as we've seen more extremism, more instability, more disinformation, anti-Semitism really dovetails that. Some people describe anti-Semitism as a really opportunistic infection that will sort of pop up in places when the conditions are right. I sometimes say it's like mold in the basement. If it's wet and it's damp, it will come. That makes so much sense. Let's talk about, because I think this is a really important point, the difference between being against Israel's politics, because obviously it's a very complex country, and anti-Semitism, because they are not the same, but yet they've been merged together in some way. And I would love your take on it. Sure. A couple thoughts. First of all, it's not anti-Semitic to criticize the policies of a government, right? Israelis themselves criticize the Israeli government regularly. Absolutely. Uh, and heartily, I mean, look at Israeli Twitter. Plenty of it's in English, and you can watch people debate like they do in any democracy, right? And even in non-democracies when no one's watching. 
So there's a difference, I think, between policy debate, political debate, and debate that is about demonization or erasing Jewish history from the universe and from the world, or is really designed to be used to promote violence against Israelis or against global Jews. So look, I criticize my own government fairly regularly and very publicly, but I don't say, and therefore America shouldn't exist. Right. And I think it's important that we separate Carly's views from ADL. So I'll talk as me for a minute and then I'll just give some ADL context just because we're in pretty political territory here. So I think if you're talking about, you know, you'll see people be like, well, they're white people from Poland. That's anti-Semitic. That erases Jewish history. It erases thousands of years of Jewish history. And it erases a lot of Jews. Not every Jew came from the former Soviet Union. People came from Lebanon, from Syria, from Tunisia, from Morocco, from Ethiopia. You know, I think when you're talking about erasure of history, marginalization, calls for violence, those are really clear dividing lines. Also like exaggeration. So I'll give you just a really clear example. It's not anti-Semitic to express concerns about government policy, but full-fledged propaganda and inventing. Like a couple years ago, there was a whole thing about organ trafficking. Like that's mm-hmm. anti-Semitism. It has clear roots in the same anti-Semitic ideas that have come around since the Middle Ages. It's blood libel. And it's invented. It's not the same as saying, um, you know, here's an Israeli policy I really disagree with, and I'd like to debate it with you. We're for free and fair debate. I'm for free and fair debate. But there's a difference between debate and propaganda. There's also a difference between campaigning because you believe that policies are wrong and using collective punishment to attack a minority group that lives in another country. So there's plenty of examples of this. But like you have seen and we've seen really troublingly through BDS and through SJP and other campaigns really discriminatory actions against Jewish Americans to sort of punish them for Israeli actions or perceived actions or perceived policies. And that's wrong. Just like it would be wrong if you were attacking any other American minority group for the actions of their ethnic background or their national background, right? Saying you didn't want Chinese people in your gay-straight alliance because of COVID would be pretty clearly the hatred and bigoted, right? And saying, I don't want Zionists in my group because I think I have the right to say that and I don't like Israeli actions. When you know the vast majority of Jews identify as Zionists, you know, the bigotry there is pretty clear. And now I'll talk a little bit more about like ADL and our work in this realm. ADL has said like anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. It's not about debating policy. It's about debating the right to exist. We don't think our right to exist is up for debate. And anti-Zionism is often used as a very thinly veiled pretext to attack Jews. That's true all over the world, and it has been for a long time. It was true in the USSR when people would attack and try Zionist Jews for economic crimes. It's true in Iran. It's true in the U.S. So you get to see the buzzwords and the language very clearly, like, attacking the Zionist entity for trying to destroy America. That's not about debating policy. That's not about fair and free democracy and government policy. That's about hurting Jews. Or we don't allow Zionists here. 
there's an example from a college where two women were asked to leave their peer student sexual assault group because they did not allow Zionists in the group anymore. I think that's happening in many schools right now. Yep. It's a growing and really troubling and difficult and horrible phenomenon. It just becomes like very thinly veiled. This isn't about debating Israel or, to be frank, debating Palestinian government policy or debating the situation at all. It's entirely about using the label of Zionism to exclude Jews. So it's ADL's view that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. I could not agree more. So you don't have an easy job, Carly. First of all, you're emotionally connected to it. This is who you are. You love your work. How do you deal with the stress of your job? Your job clearly does not end at you know, six o'clock. I'm sure you carry home a lot of burden with the topics of the day. How do you manage that personally? I think it's really important to access joy and to protect your joy. It is very easy to let your work and your life, especially at this moment, my work and life feel fairly intertwined, to let them kind of completely bleed into each other. And I think it's important to set aside things that are like, this is my family time and it's sacred. And I'm going to try really hard to be present. Now, that's a challenge, especially now. But spending time with my family, particularly with my child and my husband, and just trying to set some clear boundaries around that. One of the great things about working for a Jewish organization is that I don't generally get called on the Sabbath. Like, no one calls me on Shabbat unless there's a real major lives at risk sort of terror incident level emergency. So like Friday night to Saturday night, like I do not work. I do Shabbat with my family. I try to get outside. I spend time with the tiny giggling person in my house that doesn't really know or understand what I do, but likes that my boss gives her cookies. Like, (laughs) And taking the time to sort of try to disengage and be a person. I think one of the things that's hard is when you have this type of job and you're in your community, people want to talk about it all the time. So sometimes I've said to friends, like, I'd really like to just have drinks right now. That's okay. (laughs) Totally get it. Totally um, get it. Or like, we've talked about this for 15 minutes and it's important to me too, but anyone catch the Celtics last night? Great game. (laughs) Um, And I think one of the things that can happen in Washington is you can have a social circle that is entirely your work. I actually really love that I have a husband who's not in politics and I have friends who aren't in politics and sometimes like, want to talk about mom stuff like where to buy tap shoes on sale because our kid keeps outgrowing our tap shoes yeah tap dancing and ballet take up a lot of convo in my house when we're not working that's a good escape and cooking is a big love of mine my work is so in the head if that makes sense anything like gardening cooking like anything that's like actually with my hands that I can be like I took a pumpkin and I made it into bread I find that very distracting from work in a really positive way. And get outside, take walks, meditate, all the things you tell you to do. I know. I'm so bad at that. I literally will be at my desk from like nine and then I'll look up and it's like six. And I'm like, I haven't even moved from this chair. Um, After I drop my daughter off very early for the bus, I'll try to go like into the woods for half an hour if I can before work and take a long walk. Just like before nine o'clock, I often say to my friends, like the meditating and the exercising, it's really annoying, but it works. 
<laughs> I hate work. how good this advice is. I know. I so agree with you. Well, Carly, you've done such incredible work throughout your whole career. And I'm really honored to have you on Leave Your Mark. I always end the show with the same question, which I think we're going to know your answer. But what's the headline of Carly Pildes? How do you want to leave your mark? Carly Pildes believed in the power of ordinary people to make change and create a better world. And together we did it. Oh, I just got chills. That was amazing and totally unplanned, obviously. Listen, I think this is a really difficult subject. I think it's very complex. I hope people listening who maybe are not as educated on the subject will really absorb this conversation today and hopefully pass it on to other people. I think it's incredibly important. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up a copy of my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you're on Instagram, make sure to follow at Leave Your Mark Podcast to stay up with the latest episodes. And of course, say hi to me at Aliza Licht XO. If you're on Twitter, definitely reach out at Aliza Licht. I would love to hear from you. If you want to subscribe to my newsletter or attend a future virtual mentoring event, go to alizalicht.com for more information. And just remember this, If change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.